USAopoly is the company behind your favorite top quality custom board games made with brands you love. They're your source for authentic hot pop culture board games and puzzles. They also create award-winning tabletop experiences that will keep your game nights fully entertained with laughter and shareable memories. For more details, go to usaopoly.com. That's usaopoly.com. Clean our vessel. We are energizing transport of evil. Now. Welcome to Star Trek from the Holodeck, the Discovery Edition. Got a lot to talk about today, David. A lot to talk about. Talk about a cliffhanger. <laughs> that was one heck of a way to end it for the midseason. So today we're going to be breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 8, titled Into the Forest I Go, directed by Chris Byrne and written by Bo Yeo and Kim and Erica Lee Polt. Synapsis is bypassing Starfleet's orders Lorca uses the USS Discovery's crew's ultimate asset, the ship itself, in an effort to end the war with the Klingons once and for all. But is it once and for all? Is it really once and for all? We shall see. They definitely bookended. They definitely gave us some closure to finalize or finish off the first chapter of Star Trek Discovery before heading off to the mid-season break, but I feel like the the war is far from over. Far from over. What are your thoughts on that? I'm, I'm in agreement, too. It's far from over. I'm interested to see where they're going because you're right. They book more. They bookend the the first couple episodes, these first eight or, eight or nine episodes. It felt like a complete season it, almost. It, it felt like a complete season because, yeah. like, Honestly, we've from the very beginning we've been saying that this is the story of Burnham. Yeah, and I thought that basically the way Burnham's character was dealt with in this episode, this was a really great bookend for her character. I mean, the question for me is like, where do you take Burnham from here? Well, where do you not take her? Where can't you take her, Dave? I mean, there's plenty of to explore. She's far from being closed out. Closed out. Did they give her some closure? Absolutely. But I mean, these types of things don't you don't just get washed away by one tidy little ending. So this week's episode, as we have alluded to, was definitely the midseason fall finale. And yes, it was intense exploring possibly through some misdirection, sexual assault, psychological effects of PTSD, (laughs) all these elements that dress this sci-fi exploration epic in a bit of reality. It's all worked so well. The writers have put dotted all their I's, crossed their T's. They did everything they needed to do to make sure that this show feels good and feels legit. Not only does it feel like Star Trek, but also feels like something new as we keep discussing, which you have to do that when you're dealing with modern audiences and you wish or hope 
to have longevity to your series. You can't just appeal to the Star Trek elitists like ourselves. You have to also appeal to the modern contemporary palette, which is very different from the last Star Trek TV show we got, which was the early 2000s. And even that time period arguably was the, the point in time where a lot of TV viewing habits started to change. Tastes started to change. So the things that even worked during Enterprise or they thought worked for Enterprise didn't work. That's why we got a show that got canceled because they were trying too hard to gr- to hold on to the old feeling and the old style of writing and it didn't quite work the way they had hoped. Whereas with Discovery, they are taking the best of everything. A little bit over here, a little bit over here and then putting it all together and saying this is our series. This is how it's going to work. This is how it's going to survive. So bringing all these elements, as I was saying, via French sci- uh, fringe science and real human issues, it's what's making this show fantastic. I want to touch on that a little bit more, the reality aspect. I feel that that's always been a part of Star Trek, dealing with real problems, real issues. And this is something that we're not seeing them try to do something different for Discovery. They're yeah. borrowing the things that worked from Star Trek. The realistic nature of people's problems and what makes the human psyche tick, what makes it not tick, what hurts us, what helps us. And this is what Discovery is doing as well. The cliffhanger works well, Dave, as well with what we've seen uh, Star Trek writers do in the past. And it felt fitting. I know Star Trek TNG started doing those um, those cliffhangers. Uh, what uh, they were the first one to do a cliffhanger back what 27 years ago now oh, yeah. I'd say uh, we had our first Star Trek cliffhanger when Picard was captured by the Borg and since then it's kind of become a mainstay of Star Trek giving us those cliffhanger episodes and I remember watching this the first cliffhanger Star Trek ever aired with Picard being captured by the Borg and I remember how different it was I mean this is the 80s so different in, in the way television is being done today and even cliffhangers weren't it wasn't a, a word of it wasn't a uh, a mainstream word yet for television cliffhangers were what yeah. we've, we've heard it to be continues but a cliffhanger like this for an entire effing season I remember in fact I still have it in my storage my Star Trek nerd storage I have the TV guide that went into an entire expose on the genius of the Star Trek cliffhanger. And they discussed this one in particular, and it was dated from the 80s. So it was a big deal for television to even start utilizing the cliffhanger and not just the classic to be continued from one episode to the next. This was a cliffhanger that would have audiences waiting an entire summer. Yeah, and I remember during that time, there was so much... That was when like Star Trek's fan base started to really grow because then you started actually seeing fans like start coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Right. Is And so is Riker going to be the captain of the Enterprise from here on out? Yeah. Is Picard dead? And Shelby. And I, and I, Wait, is I, that I her used, name? Shelby? The, the blonde? Oh, the yeah. Gal? That's right. Yeah. Shelby. But like I, I used to remember that basically during that time when we had to wait a full summer – Till TNG restarted, yeah, that 
everyone everyone thought William William Riker was going to be the captain of the Enterprise from here on out. Yeah, it was cool. It's a nice little writing gimmick that I felt worked back then, and I feel like it still works for today's audiences. And I am very happy that the writers of Discovery took that page from the TNG days and said, hey, you know what? Let's keep it consistent. We're only going, we're only going to be away for what, eight weeks roughly. We'll be back. Let's leave everybody with a cliffhanger. But at the same time, despite all that, Dave, but despite the fact that, yes, we got a cliffhanger, there was still a bit of a wrap up and a resolve for our Discovery crew. Yes. Uh, the ship of the dead destroyed. Burnham at peace by retrieving Drajow's badge. Closure. The Emerald was was rescued. Closure. Closure. But with these moments of resolve, we feel the beginnings of the next chapter. There is a definitive feeling that the audience received that or that was a definitive feeling. I should say that the audience received. We've all got that feeling of, okay, but what's next? In fact, that's the very first question you posed at the top of this show. What's What's next? You might have phrased it differently with Burnham but it's more than just Burnham what is next for the entire crew of Star Trek Discovery where do we go now and I'm not saying that because there's where do we go now they didn't they didn't write themselves into a corner but I think a lot of us felt like the Klingon issue would be the main issue for the bulk of the season and will it continue on into next the second half of the season most likely yes However, the main emotional part of that story, dealing with Burnham and George Al and wanting that sense of redemption for Burnham's character and retrieving the badge, that was the closure that I didn't think we were going to get until the end of the first season. So, as I said, there is that definitive feeling of turning the page and moving into the second chapter. And that's a win. When the audience can feel the narrative structure, I think the writers can rest easy knowing they're doing their job. If you can feel the act structure, then that means the writers are doing the right cues. They're actually hitting those highs that they're supposed to hit to signal the audience when they can breathe or when they can relax or what to expect next. And that's something that's that's a missed. I believe it's a it's a missing art. And modern television, and I know a lot of people say we're in the golden age of television, which I disagree. I, I feel like we were in the golden age of television between the years of 2004, 2005, but I feel like that ended around 2015. Now, because of all the outlets we have, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix, the network televisions, uh, CBS All Access, it's making a lot of room for additional TV, but also they're churning it out. It's become factory television like network television was. And when we were in the golden age, we had four or five boutique networks like HBO, Showtime, FX, AMC that were churning these out slowly with a focus and emphasis on story. Now it's how fast can we churn out the next network and it's hurting for the last couple of years. You can see that you, you get a lot of high production, but high production value doesn't mean good story. So that's one thing I was a little afraid for with Star Trek Discovery going in. I was a little bit afraid. I was thinking, OK, we're going to get a beautiful show, but are we going to get a show that's focused on on writing? Because that's what's going to keep a show around for years to come is 
is good writing techniques that keep the audience emotionally invested and interested in the show. And that's a success. I think we can definitely say now that we're done with the mid season or we're at the mid season and we're done with the first half, I think I can confidently say that the writers know what the fuck they're doing. And not just in terms of Star Trek, in terms of storytelling, they're crafting these stories. I mean, it's just so well. Look at the pacing, Dave. The pacing has been fantastic this week. That was the thing that I was going to bring up is the fact that I'm glad that they didn't like draw out that, linger on things. They, they, they didn't linger on things. They didn't linger on the Burnham, uh, George element. They let it organically build up. And then when, it, when they reached to a point, they ended it. Right. They basically said, okay, here we go. And even not necessarily end it, but like give us a, a little bit of closure so it closure. doesn't feel drawn out and then let it simmer in the background. Because I think, and we're going to get into this after our first break, I think the George Ao thing and the actions that took place on the Shinzao that started this Klingon war between, you know, the Federation, I think that's always going to be a defining moment for the character of Burnham, that's always going to be part of her genetic makeup moving forward. So it's always going to be there. But yes, you're right. I expected them to really draw it out. And I don't think it would have been a bad decision. However, look at the decisions they're making. They're making smart decisions. They're, They're lingering for a few episodes in certain things. They're giving us some standalone episodes, but at the same time, allowing the myth arc to kind of build in the background. They're making the right calls. And that's what gets me really excited for the second half because I, I, I have some theories for sure. And we're going to talk about those at the end of the show today before we close out. But it definitely gets me excited for what we could see next season. And, and forget the next season. I, or the ne- not the next season. I mean the midseason. But forget the midseason. But even in future, ep- in future seasons, like if we covered this much ground in this amount of time, and it felt right and the pacing was good. The sky is the limit for what we can possibly cover in upcoming seasons. Absolutely. And basically the thing I really did enjoy about like this past episode, when it wrapped up everything, it, it not only did, did it wrap up stuff, but it also opened up more lingering questions that allow us to actually continue to another story arc. And that's the important thing about like I'm beginning to actually see the whole the whole idea that basically they originally had with Star Trek Discovery. Remember, they said that Star Trek Discovery was supposed to be uh, serialized anthology or anthology. Yeah. Sorry, but they were supposed to be it was supposed to be an anthology. And you're, you're I'm actually seeing that like flow as an anthology. That's a you great have, point. That's a great point. You have you have like this literally this flow of a story arc. Then it ends, but then you have a beginning of a new story arc. Like, there's so many questions that I had at the end of this episode. Like, where does Lorca, what, how does Lorca fit into this? He obviously, Lorca's going to get in trouble. Yeah, he did a great thing, but he did disobey Starfleet. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> you, you bring up a great point with the anthology aspect. I I forgot about that already, but, yeah. but you're right. And maybe that's why the pacing is so effing tight. Because of the fact that, quite simply, this was supposed to be a one and done season. And then they're going to move on to a different ship, different crew, different time period, different scenarios. So that makes a lot of sense. So now the, my question is like, okay, if the first 
the anthology, the first midseason, it was Burnham's story, right? What if everyone's like saying, oh, everyone thought that they're just going to jump to a different crew? No. What happens if they jump to a different character? Now the now the next season's going to focus on, say, someone like Ash. Maybe it focuses on Ash. Maybe it focuses solely on Lorca. Could be. Let's put a pin in that and talk about our theories for the second half of the season, because that's actually a great talking point. Uh, but first, before we get into all that, David, we do have some news that we like to go through. Uh, number one thing is the Stamets theory is picking up speed, which <laughs> is, will he become the Traveler? I know we briefly mentioned it. I want to say the very first time the Tardigrade was introduced and they started mentioning crossing through with different dimensions and and uh, traveling at instant speeds across unknown regions of the galaxy or the universe. The first thing we said was, I wonder if this will be the beginning of the Traveler. When we saw that Stamets was going to get involved, that he was going to be the hub for this. And sure enough, I mean, it goes to show you how in sync we are with many of the Star Trek fans out there because now we have blogs popping up all over the place. And I'm not saying they listen to our show. I'm saying that we're in, (laughs) meaning we get it. We feel we understand what Star Trek is about. And the fact that we're drawing the same conclusions is cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like it, this morning when I was looking at it, all of a sudden, I've never seen anyone talking about the Traveler till now. And we've been talking about the Traveler for a while now. Well, you know what? We have been uh, ripped before. So we I mean, our Westworld show was 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 pick, picked apart. Meaning everything we talked about, I mean, verbatim, words, quotes was taken and put on blogs and they never gave us credit. Never gave us credit. I was really upset about that because I'm not a douchebag pretentious where I'm like, those are my ideas. But when they're word for word of how I speak. There there has to be something strange. Yes, they're ripping exactly what I say word for word. So ever since then, I'm a little jaded towards certain blogs that have these theories that are like mine. However, with this one. I feel like it's just uh, an example of how in tune we are with Star Trek and and that we're all we're all drawing the same similar similar conclusions. Yeah. And uh, I would be OK with it. I also don't want to get into that area, Dave. And, and, and we know when it comes to shows like this, it's very common for fans of a show like us to draw a lot of conclusions that aren't there that aren't or or draw correlations. I should say that aren't necessarily there because we know so much about the Star Trek universe. We're constantly seeing something that may not be intentionally there. Um, I mean, honestly, if you really want to start writing down all the potential things that Stamets could be in Star Trek, we can probably come up with like a couple dozen right now. Absolutely. We could come up with a, a bunch of ideas of what Stamets is. It doesn't have to be the traveler. I mean, it's the so most, many, it was the most obvious. If, it's the most obvious because most most of the fans nowadays will remember the Traveler. But like you can search back through history and there's so many, you know, I don't I guess godlike godlike beings and yeah. Star Trek Star Trek's have, littered with with those types of they, characters. They've never that they've never explained that they could explain through Stamets. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Also, Dave, premiere date has been set. According to Deadline.com, Star Trek Discovery's Chapter 2 gets premiere date on CBS All Access. According to the article, it says CBS All Access has slotted the premiere date for the remaining six episodes of Season 1 of its hit original series, Star Trek Discovery. 
Chapter 2 returns Sunday, January 7th, and it begins with episode 10, Despite Yourself. I like like the fact that basically they they refer to it as chapter 2. You know, it really does force that anthology aspect that we were, we were discussing about that. Basically you have chapter one, it's Burnham's story. Chapter two, it's another separate story. So I'm, I'm liking how this is working out. I, I can't recall any other TV series that has actually done it, done it like this and done it this tight where it's basically it fits perfectly continuity or uh, the pacing is actually very well done it's not too fast it's not too slow it's the right pace sometimes once you start moving those hips the motion just kind of takes over itself <laughs> and the pacing is right. right there's no overthrust. you're not trying too hard it just feels good, good. it feels good yes <laughs> and then it's abruptly over with an intense sensation of blood rushing <laughs> <laughs> why is that funny i don't understand why is that i'm being serious <laughs> i'm being serious <laughs> all right what else do we have for news dave all right so makeup experts reveal process behind recreating klingons on the star trek discovery there's a few takeaways this is an article that's been going around for a couple of weeks now and i've been meaning to get to it and i keep forgetting due to other discussions we get into but it's worthy of discussion there's a few things worthy of note here and klingons is the focus. According to the article, Klingons have been around since Star Trek, of course, launched in 1996, but on the new series Star Trek Discovery on CBS All Access, they've gotten a new look. Makeup experts Glenn Henrik and Navelle Page talked to CBS about reimagining Klingons and how they got their inspiration. Now, the takeaway is coming up right here, Dave. It allows them to navigate their vessel, explain Page uh, when it comes to the helmet, uh, Paige said the user can only see through helmed via special Klingon HUD technology. Uh, Seashell, when asked if the Klingon aesthetic was inspired by Asian art, Hitrick and Paige said it was, but also explained that in the chronol- chronology Jesus, of the Star Trek universe, it's difficult to say who inspired whom. Are the Klingons the ones who introduced that art motif in ancient alien theories to us? She asked. Hendrick added that they are looking back at previous iterations of Star Trek to draw inspiration, which is good, which is exactly what they should do. They shouldn't be trying to change the aesthetic look of the Klingon culture at this point in time. Changing the look is one thing, which is what they also discuss. And you can tell they were being very careful because as promised, as promised by the showrunners of Star Trek Discovery, that there will be an explanation behind the different look, which is a major at this point, if they were just to let it ride would be a major canon issue. Yes. So there is an explanation. And she says very carefully, where did this is the question first, where did the Klingon aesthetics come from? How was it generated in the original series and how did it evolve in the next generation? And she says, there's a cultural pantina. We're trying to, Pantina? Yeah, Pantina. Is that like Pantene Pro-V? So stupid. <laughs> uh, we're, we're trying to put on all of our Klingons that really starts to widen that parameter. Okay? Hendrick also pointed out that not all Klingons should look the same anyway. They grew up in an empire on a group of planets, not a single planet. And that makes so much sense because if you believe in the science of evolution, okay? 
which is what Gene Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry based Star Trek on the basis of evolution. That's why there's so many humanoid species out there yes. because we all have one, not all of us, obviously the corporeal entities are very different than the humanoid species of aliens out there. However, it would make sense. They've always said this, that humans, if they grew up in different planets, would look vastly different. Vastly if you different. were to if you were to take a human being 50 years ago and you took an entire colony and put them on Mars, 50 years later they would be giving birth to kids that looked very different than our kids. Yeah, because of the difference in gravity, it could be the difference of gravity, the atmosphere, everything. The whole entire everything. living conditions are vastly different than what the human body is used to on Earth. So for them to explain it, if they explain things like this, it would make sense on multiple levels. Not only would it make sense via for Star Trek canon, but also it would make sense in terms of science and evolution, which is what Star Trek has always been built on is actual science. So that would be a great way to to not destroy canon and to kind of bring everything together to where it makes sense and feels cohesive within the, within the Star Trek universe and with everything that we've seen before. Plus, you you got to throw in the fact that basically the Klingons since the very beginning they were they've been the whole point about the Klingon polit, uh, political storyline that's going on is that there is multiple houses, there's multiple clans out there that they're trying to unify as one Klingon empire. Whose house runs house? <laughs> so like Kling, the 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 Klingon houses are on different planets and different different areas. So you would have to you you'd have to understand that basically. The Klingons are going to look completely different from each other, and that's probably what is, you know, creates that divide of the houses, and that that probably is what creates the divide in the houses. Here, you, my chair just broke on me. <laughs> All right, we, I we was know wondering what you were doing. Yeah, let going. me fix my chair. We're going to go to a very quick break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Apple updates. It's an update, right? Yeah. They're just silly. <laughs> I mean, it, it, when I think updates, I think, hey, this let's have a, now. a stronger platform, a better system. I just spitball. Better performance. Better performance. Give me some more. Give me some more ideas that you think would come with an update. Batteries consumption is reduced. Okay. You know, resolution may be on the screen. I don't Three. need to update that. Better content, video uh, quality content. Yes. Actual bokeh effects. I, I, he's such a douche. God damn it. He's such an In uh, English. He's an autistic douche. Did you? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name things that nobody knows. Uh, it was a barometer of the atmospheric pressure. <laughs> it was a linchpin for the for the he could be for the promo for the shit. iPhone Seven. They're turning into a stupid version of uh, Facebook. Meal. I don't need a giant emoji from my mother when I'm asking her if she's coming to town this weekend. Big fucking smiley face. I don't face. need it. <laughs> what teenager is running the Apple board meetings? Tim Cook is not a genius. You know what he's using? He's using his high school daughter to come up with an idea. He's like, hey, honey, come, let's have lunch tonight. You want to come to work? It's bring your daughter to work day. Give me some ideas. What do you guys want? It probably is. Well, dude. we like emojis. He's chewing gum. That's chewing gum. <laughs> 
Good idea. Tim, Tim Cook needs it. Can, can we like get the death dealer and like like so let's 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 uh, you know what? Let's do a change.org to kill Tim Cook. <laughs> And Frankenstein back to life, Steve Jobs. Let's dig him up, sew him together. Get some backing and you that. know his brain's alive still. You know they froze that. Yeah. And like we'll just put him in a little machine and and and, uh, and it'll get him to start working on Apple products again. Just like Walt Disney, they they froze him and they're waiting for the Imagine a hundred years. Oh boy. Oh, a lot of people don't know that. We have we have Walt Disney in Carbonite. Huh? <laughs> that was the ultimate deal we made with George Lucas. And there's Han Solo. We, we got the copyright details on how to make Carbonite. Uh, they're going to Darth Vader him. We can rebuild him. Yes, that's great. <laughs> Sometimes I go and play with uh, his frozen balls. Oh. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. USAopoly is the company behind your favorite top quality custom board games made with the brands you love. They're your source for authentic and hot pop culture board games and puzzles. They also create award-winning tabletop experiences that will keep your game nights fully entertained with laughter and shareable memories. With games like Star Trek Panic, Star Trek Risk, that's right, Star Trek games, an entire line of Star Trek products. Head over to USAopoly, that's U-S-A-O-P-O-L-Y dot com, and get some Star Trek games. Yeah. Open Sesame. Crossing over to other past things in Star Trek. Yeah. What if the Kelvin timeline passed through the original uh, Star Trek like the Mirror Universe? Right. Or the Mirror Universe crosses over into the Kelvin timeline. I mean, another possibility, Dave, is for very, for reasons like this, more stories that can be told. Um, I think Star Trek, with all of the TV shows that already messed up its own continuity, stuff that is canon was just forgotten. Yes. Like the Klingon head uh, star dates was a huge thing that they just changed whenever they wanted from movies to the original series to next generation D space nine Voyager. They weren't even consistent. So there's a lot of issues that was created over the past 50 years of Star Trek. And much like Star Wars had to do. Yes, I said the 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 horrible word to all you Star Trek fans. But even what Star Wars did in retrospect, you know, it was a good thing what they did. Star Trek from the holodeck exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Go to RainmanDigitalMedia.com or Patreon.com slash RainmanDigital. End simulation. Energize. All right, so today we're going to be breaking down Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 9. And to the force I go. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to let everybody know, if you ever miss any part of this broadcast, past or present, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and just search Star Trek from the holodeck. Add us to your favorites. Give us a thumbs up. Like us. Love us. Give us reviews as well. It helps. Every little bit helps. It is a very logical thing to do. Yeah, Absolutely. Don't defy my orders. I will not take it lightly like the Vulcan Admiral did. 
You'll stick me in a torpedo bay. I will send you to the brig with Laurel <laughs> so she can have her way with you. Uh, that doesn't seem like a bad thing. I, I you know, know what? Am I the only one not turned off by that? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm if like, I was Ash, I'd be like, what are you crying about, dude? Man up. <laughs> Got a hot, crazy Klingon broad after you. Why not? Why not? You know, any port in the storm, I guess. I know. Yeah, we just, we probably should have said all that, but <laughs> all right. So directed by Chris Byrne, written by Bo Yo Kim, Erica Lepote. All right. So synopsis bypassing Starfleet's orders. Lorca uses the USS Discovery's crew. The ultimate asset to the ship itself. An effort to end the war with the Klingons once and for all. All right. This week, Lorca proved that he should be wearing that Starfleet uniform. Oh, and I'm yeah. happy. This is going to be my interpretation for right now, because there's also another opposing view we'll discuss in a moment. I feel like he's still a bit ambitious, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, Lorca finally became a Starfleet captain, uh, someone that we weren't anticipating. I don't think anybody expected him ever to get to this point just because he was introduced through very grimy glasses, someone you can't really trust. And I'm not saying he's completely trustworthy yet, but I'm saying that I don't think we expected to see this type of captain at this time in in our story well the uh, thing you have to understand also is like the, after i watched this episode a couple times the question becomes what makes a great captain and then like i started thinking about it, the reason why lork is a really great captain is because he's a manipulator a captain manipulates his crew you know you look at any type of leadership or anything one of the key traits that makes a good leader is he is able to manipulate his crew. I, I do it all the time to the host on this network. Yeah. You, it, <laughs> <laughs> you, you take a look at what uh, actually characteristics make a crew follow a captain. If a captain's able to manipulate you or a leader's able to manipulate you to do something that normally you don't want to do normally, but you kind of see is the greater good. That's a, that's a sign of a good leader. Yeah, I agree, Dave. I agree. Manipulation isn't as negative as, it's not people, as, negative. as people think it is. It has a lot of, the word manipulation has a lot of negative connotations, but, or it comes with a lot of negative connotations, but it's not necessarily bad. However, the way they're using it, it's obvious that. It may again. It's it, they're playing. They're they're doing misdirection. They're, they're, this is the cool thing about the writers. They could be doing misdirection on his true agenda. Like, are they leading us down this path, showing us that he might be manipulating people for his own gain? But in actuality, he's actually being sincere. That's the beautiful thing about this writing, because at this point, it's interpretive. Because as we said in the very first episode of of our discussions. For Discovery, we said this is going to be an ongoing mystery. There are elements that we are not going to be privy to. And I'm not just talking about the obvious narrative arc and where the story goes, but we're talking about characters as well. We said this from the very beginning that Burnham is the eyes of the audience. And as long as Burnham doesn't know, guess who's not going to know as well? We aren't. We are. Once Burnham finds out, we will find out. The story is being written from her perspective. So because of that, we're only going to know things that she knows. And dude, the one thing that I actually really like this first part of the season is the fact that 
they've really stuck their uh, stuck to their guns when it comes to Lorca. Lorca started off as this character, a very mysterious person. I I really like that. I still love that scene of him explaining the fortune cookie, the aspects of a fortune cookie. It's a great introduction to, to, to Bernard. character and. Uh, up to this final episode, that scene still still holds true. You don't know what Lorca's all about, just like that fortune cookie, because it's all up to just like what you said, interpretation. Whenever you open that fortune cookie, whatever it says in there is up to you, how you interpret it. And Lorca is like that. It's kind of like we're not we're still not sure what his agenda is. But we see him doing things that basically that are interpreted as a good captain. He is a good captain. Yeah. And despite what I think many of us anticipated, as I was saying, I think many of us were much like Stamets as well and felt like he didn't care about such things as exploration. So I I liked that we shared a similar feeling with one of our characters yeah uh, he chose to stay and fight the klingons and protect the indigenous beings on pavo uh these were nice wins for the audience uh to slowly guide us into what we know of the star trek world and these are the things that are like the takeaways for this episode when it comes to Lorca's character and his development well the one thing i want to point out also about Lorca, the, the, the whole beautiful thing about Lorca this episode when he when he talks to Stamets, he doesn't he doesn't do the smarmy thing and basically set, make it sound like he's interested in exploration. He emphasizes that this is Stamets's time to be the great explorer, right? And he, I love how Lorca actually doesn't make it about him. He never makes he never makes his. If you notice throughout the entire season, when it comes to Lorca trying to manipulate or get his crew to do something, he never makes it about him. He makes it about them. You guys want to do this, right? He looks and he's like telling Stamets, you're a scientist. This is what you you wanted to do. You wanted to be the great explorer. You wanted to actually unlock the secrets of the fourth dimension. Right. You have that ability right there. And he he never makes it about himself. He even does that to Burnham. He says, this isn't about me. It's it's about you trying to. Trying to, you know, you are a talent, right? You are an asset to this, to this uh, ship. And I'm like going, the beautiful, I don't know if it's just because uh, I forgot the actor's name who plays Lorca, but the way he portrays Lorca, he doesn't do it as almost like in a sinister way. He doesn't, we've mentioned this before, Discovery has a way of making these characters feel real. Well, it's it's all about the writing aspects and what they're yeah. doing with these characters. And we touched on it for a second about the mysterious elements and seeing things from the perspective of Burnham. And that's how and I think that's the ingenious side of of discovery and what they've done It's the unexpected elements. It's been a great way to get the story going in a non-predictable fashion. We're not really sure where Lorca stands. Is he manipulating? Is he being sincere? These are questions that we should be asking. We should be feeling the conflict of of whether or not we are to trust this captain. And it's it, it's a nice play on what we have become accustomed to, because in years past, we've come to trust the captains of our shows. So yeah. to play on that very trust and then make us question it is very different for a Star Trek audience. And that's why I think it works so well. 
And the reason why this has managed to work so well is the way we were thrown in the midst of a story. It's people's lives in progress. We're not privy to the beginning of the chapter of their lives. We're almost thrown in in the middle of a chapter. We were always the first to arrive. If you look at shows uh, from the past, we were always the first to arrive. Uh, There was a definitive beginning in previous treks. Yes, the original series we understand Pike was the first captain and and there's history with Spock, but we always get the sense. Same thing with Next Generation. Same thing with Deep Space Nine. We feel like this is the beginning of a new life for them. Yes. You get the idea that uh, if from the encounter at far, far Point, they're picking up the first officer. The crew is getting to know each other. We're getting to know them. Uh, you look at Deep Space Nine, the same thing. Voyager, the same thing. We're in the midst of of we're not in the midst of an ongoing story it feels like we started the same time that they did whereas with discovery in order to keep that mystery and keep certain narrative uh, ideas that may come up down the road in in the shroud of darkness and mystery they have thrown us in the midst of a battle where we have to now fumble where did their story begin and where does it end And because of that, because of that style or that choice of writing and how they started this series, we are given the the mystique surrounding all of our characters and Lorca in particular, because he was he was placed purposely in that position to play on the audience, to test Burnham, to give Burnham a second chance. But is his second chance going to lead to his own immoral actions did someone who gave her a second chance is he actually a piece of shit is this really the second chance she wants when she's trying to gain redemption so all of this works together there is so many conflicting thoughts and potential story narratives all intermingling and you're left as an audience with real possibilities yeah. nobody knows where their life's gonna go and that's the problem with so many so much tv today dave is that uh, we have become so accustomed to stories and and we expect things. We uh, we already see it coming yeah. from a mile away. And with a show like Discovery, we're not quite sure what's around the bend with our characters. We might have an idea what may happen with the story, but our actual characters and how they're going to react and interact with each other is something that we uh, we aren't quite able to put our finger on. And that's why the story is so engrossing. And that's that's that that right there is my the most important point for me why discovery for me has been fantastic. It's not predictable, and just like what you said is like when we're dropped in or dropped into a story from the very beginning, we can start predicting ourselves as the audience what's going to happen. And back then, that worked fine for television and for writing. And basically, that's writing one hundred and one. You introduce your your audience to a story and basically the audience kind of walks on this nice little path nowadays you're right i mean like shows nowadays become so predictable it makes the audience jaded and that's how i feel is like whenever i watch some shows nowadays that basically are on even on netflix or even on on other programs it's just too predictable it's like i can automatically say oh that's that character right there he's the villain Oh, that that character right there. Oh, that's the secret hero that's going to come out nowhere and help the hero save the day in the very end. Yeah. And the thing with the thing that I found so intriguing with Discovery 
it keeps it, it dropped us into a scenario where we're like going, okay, what the hell's going on? We have to play catch up. And because they make the audience play catch up, the writer controls the story and you get this really nice cohesive storyline that us as an audience can really enjoy instead of sitting back and going, okay, this is what's going to happen. Okay. Soap opera, soap opera, soap opera. Okay. That's, that's where that character is going here. It's like, okay, who are we going to focus on? What's this character? Who's this character going to be fit into everything? And I think honestly, that is the one change in television. I wish a lot of shows would do is get away from trying to let the audience guide you. You as a television show or a writer have to guide the audience. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And bringing it back a bit to uh, Lorca, you know, this week he definitely, again, unexpectedly honing his James T. Kirk. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that opening uh, dialogue of his, that was epic. Yeah, it, it fell on par with the captains before. Which, again, was a nice little give back to the fans of Star Trek. Willing to break rules if it means it will be for the greater good. It's the archetype of our Trek captains. And that very thing, the archetype of our Trek captains, that's why I never, and we're going to deviate just a bit from our main topic, but that's why I never quite understood the dislike for Burnham at the beginning when I saw a lot of people complaining about how disobedient she was and I was I was left scratching my head. I'm like, well, every except maybe Cisco, he followed orders for the most part. Yes. He also wasn't put into a lot of situations where he had to go against orders. But all of our leads have always broken orders. It was the rogue swashbuckling antics of our captains and some of our first officers. I mean, even Spock got into that game in, in the movies. Yeah, I mean Star Trek Three. They commandeered an entire vessel. <laughs> I think. I think the thing is, is like a lot of Star Trek fans feel that if you're not the captain or if you're not Spock, you do what they I like, say. I like how you add and not Spock, but you're right <laughs> because it, it, it's very true. I mean, if you think about it, even in Next Generation, no one ever argued with with Picard. Yeah, and, and <laughs> the and, closest thing was actually in the movie when Worf said. You know, if you weren't the man that I know you are, I'd kill you where you stand. Yeah. And but what does Worf do? He still listens to Picard. Yeah. And there are some other things that people have voiced their opinions on concerning the the unharmonious intermingling of the character or the crew at the very beginning of the show and the disdain between Saru or I think more on Saru's part than Burnham. But that's also something that was very common in the show that started it all. If you go back and watch the original series, there was a disdain. And I know people are going to disagree and want to fight me because they, they love to romanticize the relationship between McCoy and Spock. Oh, dude, I'm glad but, you're bringing this but, up. But, but there wasn't that. You know how that classic, hey, you're a friend of my friend, so I guess I'm a friend with you, too. Like that. That's what the relationship was. They were all, both friends with Kirk. Dude, you but McCoy remember. insulted and <laughs> exactly. do you remember how aggravated McCoy would get with Spock and call him all these green blooded hobgoblins names he would just 
insult him continually and Spock would just stand there with his hands behind his back annoying him in a very Vulcan way they weren't the best of friends not until the movies did they start to truly appreciate each other and develop their own bond but in the series there was I would even go as far to say that there was disdain there there was a dislike for Vulcans I mean the do you remember McCoy? Yes, he was a crotchety old man in Next Generation, but they even reintroduced him that way. And the encounter at Farpoint cameo. Yeah. What are you, a Vulcan? I don't see the ears. Oh, an android, <laughs> just as bad. Just as bad. <laughs> and then I was like, going, that's how McCoy is. And that's, I'm glad that you bring that up because so many Star Trek fans keep saying that, oh, it's so, it, there's too much conflict. There's too much conflict. I was going, you guys do realize that the crew was not uh, the crews of past were not as, you know, harmonious yeah. as everyone wants to believe. You can't have a story without drama and conflict. And as long as they don't go too far. And I, again, I felt like discovery has managed to tackle that and, and create discord amongst the crew at the beginning. And now it seems like everyone's working together, which, which is, which feels right. But that was just a little minor deviation. Let's get back on track. Deviation. Um, now um, let's present, Dave, and you did jump ahead a bit with this, which shows me that we are seeing eye to eye on how this story unfolded this week. Let's present the other side of Lorca. Okay. We talked about how he has finally earned his Starfleet uniform. He's finally acting like the captains of old. Something that we didn't necessarily anticipate. But let's look at the other side. Could this all be a work? And in the show notes, I actually put manipulation. Any way he can guarantee his position by proving his superiority is what he will do. He wants to hold on to that captaincy. We still don't know truly what his full ambitions are. But I think it's safe to say there is something Machiavellian about his resolve. It's not to be taken lightly. I feel like the manipulation isn't for the greater good. Again, I'm presenting another side. Yeah. I'm hoping it is good because I like Lorca. He was willing not to even go rescue his his former love interest because he knew that she was going to remove him from his captaincy. He is laying on the manipulation thick. He knows what to say to each member of his crew. Yes. He dangles the carrot in front of Stamets with exploration. This is the definition of to boldly go where no one has gone before. Different parallel alternate universes. And then he gets Stamets on board. And you see him doing this throughout the episode. Different types of manipulation. Lorca has been mapping all of Stamets' jumps. He knows what's been going on. He, I would even wager he knows that there might be some side effects. Maybe not as bad as he had thought. Otherwise, I don't think he would have sent him to the, uh, to the medical bay to get a, whole work, a full workup. Because that's going to play against what he wants. He knows about the alternative parallel universes, how he how Stamets has been traveling through the mycelial network. Is there some type of ambition here? Is he after something? These are some of the questions 
that we can now ask. If he has been mapping all these traveling, all the, all the ways that Stamus has been traveling, right? Has or is Lurka, Lurka, not Lurka, who's Lurka? Lurka. <laughs> has Lurka been privy to something that he wants that involves traveling through the mycelial network? And you bring up a very good point because it's now getting to the point that I honestly think Lorca's whole drive, okay, is a spore drive. The, the so whole stupid. The whole drive this whole midseason is Lorca saying he wants to end the war. He wants to defeat the Klingons. This episode left me thinking there has to be a bigger end game for Lorca. Yeah, because I'm sorry. Okay, it's one way to actually be driven like, say, Picard and the Borg, right? Picard is driven by the Borg because he wants revenge. And we see that throughout Picard's life. Lorca, I'm like going, okay, yeah, you 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 sacrificed your crew and your original ship because you didn't want the Klingons to take them or you didn't want to be defeated. For me, at this point, he is so driven to make sure we use the spore drive. I'm like going, you just using the spore drive doesn't mean you win the war. It means you just travel faster. Yeah, there's something behind that. I, I feel like he is in the know of something. He's in the know of something. I'm not sure how much, but I, I have a feeling that he's. You got to figure that basically he's in the know of something, too, because we've also been introduced to the fact that Lorca has been studying alien species that are unknown to everybody else. Yeah. And let's not forget something that we've all forgotten. OK, already in the very third in the third episode, the first time we were introduced to the USS Discovery and Lorca. There were officers with black badges, black Starfleet badges. We have never gone back to that. They have never explained it. We all, again, as Star Trek fans, drew many of many similar conclusions that potentially Section 31 is involved. And since then, we have not gone back because the story has moved past that. However, we have not explained what that's about. Have we? The Black Starfleet badges, badges, badges. I'm really struggling this week. They have not gone back to explain the Black Starfleet badges. Now, possibly, maybe I missed something and they're connected to Black Alert. I don't know. However, why why bring it up the way they did? Yeah. Why, why bring it up the way they did at the very beginning in episode three and say, I've never seen Black badges like that? Well, the thing is, is also like the... When that episode happened, it was such a obvious uh, moment that basically they they wanted us as the audience to focus on the fact that these guys are wearing different types of uniforms. Their their badges are different, and even the the most honest part that I found was the fact that after that, you find that basically when Burnham gets her uniform, right, you'd expect okay if she's part of the crew she probably would get a black uniform because, hey, there were people in the same, they were they were wearing black uniforms. But then you came to realize that Burnham, Saru, all the regular 
crew don't wear that uniform. Yeah. They don't. And so I'm like going, I, I started thinking to myself, why would they actually just throw that one time at us in in one episode? Yeah, there's something and there. never come back. There's something there, and I'm sure that There's we still will... mysteries about the Discovery ship that, you know, I think the crew does not know about. Yeah, they, they laid it on thick at the beginning, and I have a feeling that they're going to end up going back to it before the end of the season. I, I feel like it has to do with Lorca's main agenda and what his purpose is on the USS Discovery. It goes farther. It goes beyond simply defeating the Klingons. You're right. Now, moving forward in this discussion, Dave, I want to discuss the differences or I want to discuss first the parallel alternate universes that was brought up, (laughs) which was definitely a great fan moment for Star Trek fans. just been opened. I I would agree. You have to be very careful with these types of things. Um, Most TV shows can never do it right. And this is nothing new to Star Trek. We have had mirror universe episodes in almost every Star Trek series, correct? Yes. Um, Enterprise, the original series, Deep Space Nine. So three, three out of five, three out of six now. We shall see if Discovery ends up doing the same thing. But is this going to be the mirror universe episode we expect? Basically the Terran Empire. Is it going to be the Terran Empire? The alternate mirror universe, the true mirror universe, by definition, what it means in the Star Trek wiki. Is it going to be that universe where the Terran Empire runs everything and they're a a military prejudice organization that tries to conquer everybody? Very Genghis Khan. Roman. 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 Yeah, very Roman-esque. I think that's the question. That we have. They're not going to bring this up without actually doing something about it. Why bring up alternate universes? Why bring up parallel universes? Unless they are going to take the audience down that rabbit hole. Now, that being said, we have theories that we're going to discuss at the end of the show. So now's not the time for theories. Yes. But I do want to discuss the differences. Will this be the moment where they actually explain the Kelvin timeline and the prime timeline, or will this be a simple episode delving into the mirror universe? Now, scientifically speaking, there are very big differences between alternate parallel universes, which is what was mentioned in this last episode. Yeah. And a split timeline, which is what was described in the Star Trek reboot of 2009. Yes. Scientifically speaking. Now, when you go to Star Trek Wiki and Star Trek Canon, they describe them as one and the same. So are we going by what the Star Trek Wiki says? Because we know that the writers aren't behold. Yeah, they're not following that. Yeah, they're not guided by the Star Trek Wiki. The Star Trek Wiki is guided by what we see. So... What are we actually going to see in this alternate universe? Are they are they going to do are they going to describe the split timeline that we saw happen in the 2009 movie when the Narada traveled back in time and created a mess? Well, are, we, are we going to see that? Because we have kept saying, David, from time and time time and time again since they announced this episode and what time frame it was going to take place in, we had said that they're going to need to explain the timelines 
to the audience. They can't take for granted that we all just know, oh, there's a Kelvin timeline and a prime timeline. There's two of them. The TV show takes place in the prime. We know this because we're Star Trek nerds and we Google and we do social media, but they can't take this for granted that everybody's like that. There's plenty of people out there who watch Star Trek and the movies and Star Trek Discovery where they're not quite drawing the same conclusions because they don't understand how it all works. I'm sure I guarantee you there's people wondering about how the movie fits in now. Well, how does the movie fit into all this with the Narada crossing over now months ago before Star Trek Discovery even aired? Brian Fuller said that Star Trek Discovery would take place in the prime timeline. Yes, that's the original timeline for Star Trek. However, will this be the moment? Are they setting down the groundwork to help explain? The differences between the Kelvin timeline that was started with the J.J. Abrams reboot and the prime timeline that has been in in existence for over 50 years now. What do you think, Dave? That's why, for me, the most important scene in order to do this, in order to actually broach the subject, it was important to use Stamets in the scenes that he was in. Like Stamets babbling about the infinite possibilities and then basically passing out because Doing 133 jumps made him literally see things that were beyond his comprehension and his body couldn't handle it. I think that basically we are headed towards explaining the differences between the Kelvin and the Prime. In fact, I honestly think they're going to be opening this up to multiple things. Yeah. Multiple they, could, they, could, they could do. Yeah. Because you got to remember that basically they're going to, they're, they they started they established the mirror universe and they wanted to establish the kelvin universe well why can't we have multiple universes then you know multiple possibilities as as stamets said the, the the i forgot the exact phrase he said but basically summed up it's the infinite possibilities he saw that could happen and the the universes that it creates basically almost creates uh like a, if you're familiar with a, a old sci-fi TV show, Sliders. Sliders created like an entire concept that basically every little moment changes what we do. So basically, there's multiple, uh, multiple parallel universes out there because a Mike decides to not eat scrambled eggs in the morning. Well, that changes the entire day, right? And basically. I think that that's what they're going to try to explain. So that, but what you described is the definition of a split timeline, a split timeline, a decision that you make or something that happens alters the course of destiny, destiny and creates a split timeline. That's different. Yeah. But then according to Star Trek canon so far, yeah. they're describing it as one of the same. So I'm wondering if they're going, because you got to remember, Dave, they, they chose specific words. To, in the 2009 Star Trek, they chose a very specific word when they explained it. They said they did not say it created an alternate reality. reality. They said a split, split in the timeline. That's what they said. And when you're dealing with a show like Star Trek that deals with parallel alternate realities various times throughout his history, would not J.J. Abrams choose to use that word to explain Instead if that's of, what they truly meant? Yeah. So that's why there needs to be some explanation as to, first off, what which is what? 
Is the Calvin timeline simply an alternate parallel universe now? And then once they define that, we can then figure out and theorize what's what's going to happen next. We're going to get to that, though. We're going to theorize. Now's not the time because we can probably yeah. talk about that for we can another talk, 20 minutes or so. Just because of that ending by itself, you yeah. can kind of guess where they're at. Yeah. Can we? Did you go back and review? Technically, yes, I did. Okay, hold on, hold off. We're going to get to it. Yeah. Uh, Burnham and Ash beam over to the Klingon ship of the dead, a ship where they both will have to face their past and problems and have to come face to face with these problems. So, Ash theories come to a head. <laughs> Misdirection or was his mind wiped so he can be a true sleeper agent? What is happening? Is this misdirection? Is this really simply a sexual PTSD? <laughs> what is happening with Ash? Now, the device that Burnham and Ash placed on their body, okay, might be one of the clues. Again, either misdirection or clue as to how Ash can get away with being a Klingon. Now, the theory for new listeners, Ash is actually Vok. That's why he's disappeared. Yes. That's why Lorel in this episode said, oh, it's you. I will not allow them to hurt you. I will allow, that, was, that was the important thing for me. Now, again, that could be misdirection. Maybe she, let's say she actually did develop feelings for Ash. It wouldn't make a lot of sense for Vok unless they have put Vok someplace else and it would later be revealed who he is. However, look at these little things they're doing. Okay, the device, David, that allowed Burnham and Ash to beam aboard the Klingon ship and their life signs read as Klingon. That's a narrative gimmick that would work if they do end up revealing that Ash is actually Vok the Klingon. Yes. They're establishing that they can scramble life readings. Yes. And what they come off as human, Klingon, Vulcan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a very easy, simple writing gimmick. There's foresight there. And if they do end up revealing that Ash is Vok, the audience will shrug and be like, oh, well, they actually explained three episodes ago that they have a device that can scramble the life readings. So, hey, that kind of makes sense for them not to read that he's not human, but a Klingon. Yeah. Okay, the evidence in the breadcrumbs are there to go any direction they wish. And I think that's pretty much as far as we can go with this discussion because they gave us two possibilities. He's either in in fact struggling with PTSD or he is Vok. He is Vok. And if he is Vok, I know last week we had briefly touched on the fact that possibly he's going to realize that the Federation isn't negative, that they actually have honor, and Cole is his enemy. Cole's dead. Yeah. So wh where does this leave our theory now? I think the only place they can go, and that would make sense, would be that somehow, in order for him to be a true sleeper agent and not get caught, Laurel wiped his memory. And now when he saw Laurel, memory started coming back naturally. Yes. I mean, because of the sex scene they showed in a flashback was not rape. That, no. That no, was full-on lovemaking. So is his memories colliding and clashing together? 
That's the way that's the way I saw it. Because like here was the thing. Ash basically wakes up as if he's coming out of a nightmare. That ain't no nightmare. That's no nightmare. And and I'm like going, why would he have like a dream like that? Yes, we we were told that he 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 constantly says that Laurel tortured him. Right. And 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 Dave, just to hold on one second, just to kind of pick up where you just kind of alluded to. I understand that, and this is a very dark theme for the for Star Trek to really very be tackling. Right. I mean, you could have a character struggling with PTSD and struggle with the very idea that he enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, there are very sad stories littered that throughout the internet. You can read where victims of rape feel guilty because during the rape they actually started to enjoy it and now not only were they violated but now they feel like something's wrong with them because they enjoyed it so that's a very sad prospect to put ash in and it may be a little too dark of a theme for star trek to tackle but dude this this so that is proving that they're they are willing to go into very murky waters i agree so it's possible and that's why I feel like this story can go in various directions. We see the problems he's going through. He told Burnham that he did what he had to do to survive. Otherwise, he would not be here. So they are laying it on thick. For both potential outcomes, both the sleeper agent and the PTSD doing what he had to do, possibly enjoying it type thing. Yes. And now he is filled with guilt and remorse. So whatever direction they go, I feel like it's going to work. The sleeper agent feels a bit more predictable. And that's why I'm starting to lean to the line of thinking over to the line of thinking that it's not as simple as that. There's going to be something more to it. I At least that's how I feel about it. What are your thoughts on that? My problem with it is this is the only part. This is the only part that in Star Trek that I feel is really discovery is one of the more predictable elements that we're seeing right now because the problem that they did discovery wise and it's not much of a problem because it just made us question okay where's the story going from here on out and it propelled the story forward in a more interesting way was where they left Vok off Vok was told that basically he had to disappear he would have to give up everything And he would have to do something that basically, I guess, was forbidden in Klingon. And she was going to take him somewhere to do something that would completely change him. Then we don't see him, period. Yeah, I don't. We never see him again. I don't buy that Vok left and abandoned Lorel after all that had transpired. I mean, he is a true believer and a radical. We we were that was established. That's part of his character. Yeah, he believed in not Tuvok. Tuvok is uh, the Vulcan from Voyager. Takuvma. He believed in Takuvma's purpose. Believed that he would be the man that would bring and unite the Klingon Empire together under one house and to keep the Klingons pure from outside whatever outside interference whatever interference so so i don't believe that i don't believe he would he would just leave after all that he's been through and how they set him up 
I, I, I just don't buy that. So that's why I'm leaning that this may in fact be the other. The other? Yeah. Because like the thing I, is, I don't is know like, what I believed. I'm so confused. <laughs> You're so confused. <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> you feel like Ash pretty much. Yeah, pretty but, much. I, I'm, I'm being mentally, you know, you know, I'm not going to say it. Not in this day and age right now. Currently. <laughs> Way too early. <laughs> <laughs> You're basically mentally confused. Of like what's going on right now. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, Lorca's manipulating first, my mind and my thoughts. At first I was like going, okay, this is obvious. He's going, Tyler is the sleeper agent. He's going to turn into Vogue. But then I started thinking to myself, because this is what discovery does to people, or at least it does to me. It, it makes me question where we're going, which is really cool. Why in the world would Vok agree to this? Because here's the thing. You bring up a really good point. He's a radical of Takuvma. Takuvma's ideology was to keep Klingons pure. Yeah. So would he have a surgery that would alter who he is? Alter who he is. Yeah, man. That that's that's the thing that goes against his character. And that's the thing about this entire scenario. It could literally go in every direction. I I I have to say it's not going to be as obvious as a lot of people are thinking. And I'm really struggling right now because I don't know if it's obvious. That Vok is Ash because I saw it coming through my own analysis of the show or if it was spoiled to me on Twitter. And now because of that, I'm seeing it. You're seeing it. I almost yeah. wish I never saw that spoiler <laughs> or that theory on the Internet because then I'd be able to really theorize and investigate what's happening. But because of that, I am now being, you know, subtly pushed in another aspect of the story that I, I don't know is actually even there for sure so w we shall see let's we move see. forward we're kind of stuck right now in a circle just going around and around trying to figure this out and i don't think we're meant to figure it out at this point it's it's awesome that star trek discovery is creating these types of questions i don't think we've had a star trek series ever to get this much debate going and discussion. No. So I haven't seen it ever in any of the past series. So in, in that regard, the writers of Star Trek, again, are doing a great job that they are creating dialogue amongst the fan fans. There are theories being posted, debates, discussions about story aspects, whether or not this is going to happen or that's going to happen. So that's good. So that's a win for the writers for sure. I know there was a an article going around from sci-fi.com saying that they had debunked the theory uh, based on something that the actor had said that plays Ash, where he denied it, where he said, no, I was originally cast as Cole, the Klingon, the House of Core. And when I got to set, uh, the producers said they liked what they were seeing and they asked if I could play this role instead. So now a lot of people are now pointing to the fact that he has debunked it himself personally. You know what? I don't know if I believe that because actors have have denied things various times in order to save the, the mystery of the story. We shall see. Uh, however, Cole of the House Core has died at the hands of Burnham. I, I love this scene because there was a sense of wrap up. And that's something we touched on at the beginning of the show um, that the emotional distress that Burnham was carrying on her shoulders had some closure. Obviously this will be, this will always be a thing that defines her as a character, much like Picard with the Borg Kirk and the Klingons and the Kelvin timeline, Kirk and the loss of his father 
and knowing his own future and not being able to come out from his own shadow of what he should become. So this is something that has defined many of our protagonists in Star Trek. Issues that we were introduced to throughout the stories of Star Trek. And they've always been there. They've never allowed them to completely disappear. And it's very realistic to life. We know that when we experience some type of trauma or something major in our life, it never goes away. It becomes a part of our character. It defines it defines us and makes us be who we end up being later in life. So I don't think the Georgiou and the Shinzao incident will ever be completely gone. However, giving us that closure, I felt like that was a neat way to bookend that issue and her redemption of sorts. She yes. was able to, in a way, she was able to retrieve George Al's body by getting that Starfleet badge. Yeah. And the, I think that's the important part with that first first chapter, uh, honestly, in, in uh, Burnham's story is like, it started with her betrayal of George Al on the Sunzao. And then now it ends with back where we started with the on the ship on the Klingon ship of the dead. Yeah. And her not leaving Georgia this time. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was it was very poetic. And also the swashbuckling fight on the bridge of the Klingon vessel was a great way to book in the beginning as well. So there was a lot of thought going into how they're going to wrap everything up poetically and literally as well. So overall, the way it all ended was great. The pacing of the first half of the season, uh, I think, has been on point. They have not lingered too long on unnecessary elements. But that kind of that kind of uh, concludes our discussion on the bulk of the episode. However, there are some worthy mentions here when it comes to visual effects and encompassing what we've seen throughout the first half of the season. I mean, the VFX, David, continues to be gorgeous. Have you seen like any ser- any series right now that has done the visual effects? Hannibal. That- Hannibal, Hannibal and, um, comes really close. And uh, the other show Brian Fuller did right now uh, for, for Showtime. American Gods. American Gods. This is what Brian Fuller has defined himself as. A, a showrunner that puts together, I mean, completely insanely gorgeous visuals mixed Absolutely. with visual and practical effects to mesh a beautiful image that also tells its own story. And this is exactly what discovery is doing. So I hope they continue to mesh VFX with the cinematography for, so they continue so that they can continue the mesmerizing aesthetic. It makes it look very cinematic. And yeah. like, you're not watching a TV show. You're watching a, a, a legit film. Yeah. It's great. I, I love every moment of this series so far. And I kind of wish there were some negative things I can complain about. So it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't feel like I'm blowing the show, but it's so good. They've done such a great job. Yeah. I'm so, I, I'm so glad dude, this series turned out much better than I was thinking because I remember when me and you first started watching this, I was very hesitant because it's been a long time since we saw Star Trek. We, I think we both were. We're both very nervous and we were ner- and unsure. I was nervous. We were because, very unsure. You know, <laughs> we made it a joke in the very beginning that the last time we saw Star Trek in TV format, not film format, TV format, was Enterprise. 
Hey, don't and, laugh at that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Enterprise I, just left a bad taste I, in my mouth. I feel like they weren't sure what they were going to do with the show. Yeah, they I, weren't They weren't sure what they were going to do with the show. It, it ended strong. The, it, not, I'm not talking about the finale. The finale sucked. <laughs> but I'm, the last two seasons of Enterprise were pretty effing strong. They were strong and because they had a game plan. And then when I saw Discovery, when I started watching Discovery, I'm like, going, this, this writing team, this production team, knows where they're going yeah they they have a game plan they're like like we're not deviating from it yeah you're right but dave hold on because you're actually bleeding to our next part here a live read if you want to get more star trek from the holodeck that's right more star trek from the holodeck go to patreon.com slash rainman digital that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash rainman digital and pledge when you pledge five dollars or more a month you gain access to hours of additional star trek discussions ranging from topics on q the mirror universe we did an entire what series of discussions on the mirror universe on the mirror universe also the borg and so much more every month we're adding more discussions so while we're on hiatus and you miss our voices and our theories and breakdowns you can still get it by going to patreon.com slash rainman digital to pledge thank you all right david we need to move into final thoughts on the first half we kind of already shared our final thoughts so i'm not going to say anymore give me an under 30 seconds your final thoughts on this episode and mesh it over to the first half of the season as well this was a really great fin- mid-season finale. One of the strongest se- mid-season finales I've ever seen for any series that I've watched. I've I've been watching a lot of like Netflix originals and a lot of high-profile series that kind of by the mid-season they kind of dragged. Discovery has a game plan, and I really do enjoy seeing this type of writing kind of evolve. And I hope that basically the next season continues the trend. Episode wise, the second half of the season, the second half of the season continues it. And I think that this past episode honestly gets an A plus. It's a really high A plus from me. Wow, look at you, Dave. This was a really great episode that kept me not just engaged in what was going on, but now engaged on what's going to happen. And that's the important thing for a midseason finale. You want us to continue on and continue asking those questions. You brought it up. I had the same feeling that I had the day that basically Locutus of Borg shows up and says, I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Cliffhanger ending. That's how I felt with this one. And I think that that's what discovery needed to do was get that same, that same fizz that basically TNG and original Star Trek got with their mid-season finales and stuff like that to lead us into another story arc yeah i can't disagree with anything you're saying dave i also give this season a solid a so far up to this point it's a little we haven't seen enough to fully gauge how the season will end however i am happy with what we've seen so far i did not have really a whole lot of idea what we would get honestly i had thoughts and theories and what we would see based on what brian fuller released to the audience but ultimately i'm much more happier than i thought i would be especially because enterprise despite the last two seasons being 
pretty damn good. I feel like Enterprise did leave a bad taste in our mouths, not just not just for Star Trek Enterprise, but Star Trek. In a lot of ways, Star Trek Enterprise could be the culprit for the demise of the Star Trek era between two thousand between the mid two thousands and now. Oh, poor Archer. Uh, you know, there's a lot of factors. I don't want to blame any one person. I feel like, you know, Rick Berman and many of the producers behind that series, they got very comfortable and relaxed and they felt like, hey, we can slap Star Trek in anything and our Star Trek fans are going to watch it. And obviously, uh, based on Nemesis and Enterprise, which came out around the same time, they were wrong. They became way too laxed. And I'm hoping now that they made some mistakes and the torch has been handed to other producers to take over the series I feel like we're going in the right direction and I can't wait to see what's next. The only downfall is I, I need more cat suits. I need more women walking around <laughs> like Deanna Troy and, and seven to nine. What do you what, think? You, you don't want the original Star Trek where it's like those mini skirts. No, <laughs> I need, I need Deanna Troy outfits and I need communicator badges so I can be like, Hey, Deanna Troy, can I use your communicator? Holodeck. deck. Mine's, Holodeck. Not, mine's not working. Let me use yours, please. <laughs> Let me use yours. I'm not I'm not trying to touch your boobs. I'll be very careful. I can't use my hands, I'll be so very, I have to use my hold face. Hold on. Watch. Just a little tap. Just see, that's all I'm doing. Nothing to be alarmed by. Just a little tap. <laughs> uh, medical attention, please. <laughs> uh, okay, one more. Um, I need uh, to be transported to uh, the hospital, please. <laughs> Uh, hi, Deanna Troy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So theories, this is where we can theorize before we end out the show. Okay. But before we get into those theories, David, for the second half of the season, I want to keep it short because we have to end soon. I'm going to read you a segment taken from deadline, Hollywood deadline.com. I should say. Where they kind of give you a little synopsis of the second half of the season. And it kind of gives us clues on what we can expect. Okay. So in chapter two, while in unfamiliar territory, the USS Discovery crew is forced to get creative in their next efforts to survive opposing and unprecedented forces and return home. This kind of sounds like we're going to spend the second half of the season lost or in an area of space that we are not familiar with. Now, do you think this is just a preview for what to expect in the opening episode? Or do you think they're setting the tone with the synopsis of what to expect for the entirety of the remaining, what, six episodes? I think this is what we're going to expect for the remaining Six Hold on. Episodes. Let me ask Deanna Troy. No, there we go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but honestly, I think that this is basically the 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 synopsis of what the second chapter is going to be about. They're in a different. Let's just say that uh, my my theory, and I started thinking about this. And then I started actually kind of putting it all together. My theory is the fact that it's a bit of far fetched, but someone actually, someone be, uh, backed this up. I think that basically they've jumped into the Kelvin universe. Really? Because. So you think that's where they ended up when that final jump 
that was not a complete jump. You think they went actually into an alternate universe that ends up being the Kelvin timeline. I think it's the Kelvin timeline where the 2009 movie and their story resides. Here's why. Okay. They're surrounded by Klingon wreckage, right? They have no idea why are we sure it's Klingon wreckage? Yeah, because the ships around them are all Klingon. Because okay. if you if you look at all the ships that were around them, they were all like the, the same designs as the ships of the Klingons in the past uh, couple episodes. Okay. So, so th- something happened that basically obliterated a Klingon fleet. Now, now I thought about this and I had to actually uh, research it. In the very first movie of Star Trek The Reboot, they discuss about how a Klingon fleet was obliterated and during a, during the scene with Uhura and Kirk. And they're talking about uh, Uhura, uh, Uhura basically interrupts or gets transmissions that an entire Klingon fleet just got wasted. They got obliterated. Okay. And they're talking about that in the Klingon chatter. From the Star Trek 2009 movie? Yes. Because when they're trying to actually first uh, listen to the Klingon transmissions, that's how they found out about the uh, Narada Nero. Okay, so you think they're in the Kelvin timeline based on that? that based be, on that, that could be true. And I think that basically, it would it would actually be kind of cool to tie in the prime timeline. But into how the would that timeline. work though? Because the 2009 movie, yes, we're not quite sure where it resides because we know Discovery takes place ten years before the five year mission of the prime timeline, which the 2009 movie takes place around about the same time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think give or take two or three years. Cause we know the five year mission doesn't necessarily start until I believe into darkness. The 2009 movie was the simple reboot to get Kirk into the enterprise and to kind of get them back on track with their destiny. That's what the first movie was about. So the five year mission didn't start at that time. So Maybe give or take three or four years. Yeah. Again, remember, Discovery is 10 years before that. So I don't know if that would work when it comes to actual time. Well, here's the thing, though. And then you're talking about the time, right? Lorca basically uses Stamets to do 133 jumps. So you think they can cross over not only to just different alternate universes, but also different time, different time points, right? Which would make because sense. It would make sense because like, uh, it, someone, uh, when I did the research or search on this right before the show, I began to realize that basically Lorca basically used Stamets to time travel because remember he needed to get the data that would have taken like, I think, uh, uh, Burnham says it would have taken a year to get all that data done. So what does Lorca do? He tells Stamets jump 133 times. Essentially what he's telling Stamets to do is time travel. Yeah. Interesting, man. I I can't disagree. I, at this point in the game, it could be anything. I'm anything. I'm, but that's my theory. I'm inclined to also say that we're in the Kelvin timeline. I feel like actually being in the actual mirror universe would be a little too much meaning we've been there, done that we've already seen the mirror universe. What is the mirror universe going to do to propel the story for discovery? This series is very different than past star Trek. Do we really have room to delve into a complete mirror universe episode? Possibly it's all on how it's orchestrated, right? 
Yeah. But me as a fan, I'm going to go ahead and theorize that we're in the Kelvin timeline, not based on facts, but because that's what I want to happen. Yeah. Think about <laughs> the possibilities we can. What happens if Burnham sees Vulcan destroyed? Yeah, it, it's going to be great. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be cool. I can't wait. I know the Star Trek Discovery fans are excited. And of course, we will be back here the following Monday, January 8th, the day after the show premieres. The mid-season premiere, I should say, happens January 7th. We will be here in the studio ready to discuss January 8th. We're here. We're excited. And if you want more Star Trek from the holodeck during the winter break, please head over to patreon.com slash Digital. Also, sometime this week, I should be releasing my interview with the Star Trek Discovery prequel writer for Desperate Hour, David Mack. I think everyone's going to like it. Lots to learn from his insight as well as the book he wrote and the ins and outs and how and what it means for Star Trek Discovery. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.